So that's what we begin this morning. We begin an exploration of a book of the Bible called Acts. And uh, we're going to step into that in just a, a moment. But before we do, I just want to think about the world where we live today. And uh, a little story I have to tell you. About two and a half years ago, uh, my family, we decided to go to Florida for spring break. We hadn't been in a couple of years, and uh, we decided kind of late in the, in the season to make that move. All of a sudden, sometime in March, we decided to go the first week of April to Florida, and, and a lot of places were spoken for, and we had no place to go. And so I just started exploring online, and for some reason I was led, you know, we, we haven't been to the panhandle. Um, really, so why don't we, let's see what we can find. And uh, looked around and eventually found um, a rental-by-owner spot in this, this little town. And we really came to love it. So in 2016, in 2017, and in 2018, we kept going back to this place. Um, I mentioned it actually by name. There are a whole bunch of people who go to Florida or winter in Florida or what have you. And the reality is, except for one or two people, nobody had ever heard of it. We'd never heard of it before either. But we found it really uh, just great. It was quiet. It means there were plenty of people. But it was still quiet compared to so many other places. Um, the restaurants, I mean, I, I don't know that they'd get any great markups in, in some you know, restaurateur magazine or anything. But the food was fine. We enjoyed it. The beach was perfect. It was easy to get to other places. And so, three years in a row, south, around Nashville, around Birmingham, into Alabama, then off to the south and the east, we traveled. The truth is, it was kind of hard. I, I actually, I've been separated from TV, so I literally have not watched any, any images of Hurricane Michael and what happened this week. I've not watched any footage. But I've, I've seen some pictures, and I've read some stories. And the truth is, it's a little heartbreaking for my family and me because the town we really liked a lot is a little town called Mexico Beach. Mexico Beach, to a great extent, doesn't exist anymore. It was sort of wiped out. I've looked at some of the aerial photos and, and what have you. I've not been able to locate in my mind exactly where we stayed. But the truth is, it, I, I might not recognize it. I probably wouldn't recognize it if I actually saw it. The destruction was just really hard to imagine. USA Today had an article the other day and uh, reported on a couple of people who visited. One couple went to their home the day after. And said all they could do was stare and hold each other. This was our heart. It's just gone. Um, that home had been rebuilt just a, a few years before. But now there was just nothing left. I don't know how to process this, she said. I'm just in shock. It's all so surreal. And then uh, another couple who occupied one of four apartments in their building. The next day were salvaging some pots and dishes and were looking for car keys. Three of their vehicles, uh, two described as sports cars in excellent condition, laid stacked up behind their building between a truck and debris. 
you can imagine. The remains of homes were strewn all along that main drag through the the panhandle and through town along 98. There were spoons and knives and pots and pans and power tools and shovels and glassware and chairs and clothing. And this, along also along 98, was the incessant droning, beep, beep, beep of smoke detectors, apparently set off by the saltwater surge. In one section of a home that leaned up hundreds of yards from where it once stood on the beach, the kitchen cabinet held dishware, cups, saucers, all lined up, unbroken, and awaiting the next meal that would never come. Wow. I can't imagine, can't imagine what it is like to live in a community, to have a life in one place and suddenly have it wiped out. Mexico Beach is not a town of of well-to-do people. And the vast majority of them make their living off of what no longer exists there. It's like a moment in time when the story of Mexico Beach is the story of the past. You could write a history of Mexico Beach. I, I'm not sure it would be that, that thick, but, but there'd be a story to tell. But that story seemingly is over right now. Now, it's possible, undoubtedly, there's some kind of future. Will that future be book-worthy or not? Movie-worthy? Maybe. But you know, if it is, if Mexico Beach is rebuilt, if it's rebuilt better, bigger and better than it ever was before, I don't know what'll happen. The truth is, if 30 years from now, Mexico Beach is fully back and it's beautiful and 87-year-old Craig travels down because he just still loves Mexico Beach, um, there really won't be any mystery about it at all. Because we know in advance what it would take to, to rebuild. It would take people want to live there. It would take um, insurance money and savings money and people with a dream. It, it would take people wanting to make an investment in that place. And a successful ability to attract people to come to vacation. Because that's what it's all about. And there would be no particular mystery. Because the only way it can be rebuilt is if all those pieces come together. Two different stories of Mexico Beach. But man, if you went there right now, all you would see is destruction and the past. A couple days ago, I drove into Holland for the very first time from the south. I, I went on the highway out of town. I went all the way down to exit 52 because that's where my phone directed me and I was going to go along down to the Hope campus and come up from the south side of campus. And as we were driving um, west towards the lake, towards Holland, just past this really beautiful cemetery. It was um, a morning. It was, it was sunny a couple days ago, like Tuesday, I think. It was sunny and it was beautiful. And it was just striking. And all these big markers. I almost wanted to get out and walk over. I don't, this may sound weird to you, but... but you know, I, I sometimes work in cemeteries and as a pastor. And I, I think cemeteries are beautiful, and I like to explore the stones sometimes and read the stories. And there were, they, they were, it was just striking. But you know what's true about all those stories there? They're over. They're done. Some of them have been done for a long, long time. And if there are any books written about any people buried in that cemetery, 
There's one volume, but there's not another one that follows about what they did after they died. Right? Get it? That's what sets apart what Luke does in the New Testament so much from almost any other story that's written anywhere. It's not that there's not Mexico Beach stories here. Let me predict. They're going to rebuild Mexico Beach, and it's eventually going to be somewhat successful as a place for people to go for vacation. But if that happens and occurs, and there's a second volume to the story, there won't be any big mystery about it. But there is a mystery about the story that Luke tells Luke was a physician. He was an early follower of Jesus. He was a particularly close friend of a man named Paul, who probably was the most significant early leader of Christians around. And Luke was someone with an insatiable curiosity and an organized mind. He had just a curiosity where he wanted to find out what happened. And so He researched, and he read, and he interviewed people, and he listened carefully, and he took notes, and he put all those pieces together, and then he wrote. And he wrote, as far as we know at least, wrote two volumes, and they actually go together. And if you only read one of them, you might not realize that you're missing the rest of the story. If you only read Luke's gospel, how he talks about Jesus from a little bit before Jesus' conception, all the way until about the time when he died. And then, and then a little bit after he died, and then his second book where he talks about things, he backs up just a little bit after Jesus, to the time of Jesus' resurrection, and then goes on for about 30 years. There are two books that cover about 30 years of time. The the approximately three decades of Jesus' life on earth, and then the approximate three decades that followed. And they can stand on their own, and you can read them on your own, but I want you to understand, you won't finally understand them if you don't see that they go together. I've gotten hooked on this um, British cop show. Um, I'm not sure I'm recommending it exactly, but I'm hooked on it. DCI Banks? Anybody know what DCI Banks is? Nobody? Am I really? Ah, I see a hand. It's, it, it can hook you, can't it, right? Yeah. And, and the way it's set up works all the time is there's always two parts to the story. There's a 45-minute episode and then a second 45-minute episode. And I suppose you could watch just the first half and then leave it there. Or you could just pick it up at the second half and leave it there. I'm I'm sure there's stories within that kind of hold together. It might keep your interest and maybe you can piece some things together. But it really works best if you see both. Because both help you understand what it's all about. And although we are not going to be walking through the Gospel of Luke right now, we're going to be assuming a lot and we're going to step into Acts I want you not to forget that the whole story of Jesus' life on earth lies behind what goes on in those next 30 years. But I also want to remind you of something, and that is that it's one of the most unlikely stories to be told anywhere. When Jesus went to Jerusalem that last week, quote-unquote, of his life, he came with great expectation to great applause on Sunday, and by Thursday night, he was arrested, and by Friday afternoon, he was dead. 
And you know what happens when a leader dies? It's over. It's like the Holland Cemetery. It's a story that might have been that never quite occurred, that never really came to be. Um, There's a very tragic, bad story in modern American history involving a politician and a young girl. 1968, I think, 1969, probably 1969, Senator Kennedy and Mary Jo Kopechny, Chappaquiddick. I don't want to talk about that story per se, except that the senator and Mary Jane had been at a gathering, at a party that night. And it was a group of people that got together occasionally. And do you know who they were? They were people who had all been involved in the Bobby Kennedy for President campaign. They had had hopes. They'd had aspirations, they'd had dreams that this man would be a leader who would make a difference in a troubled country in which there were deep, deep problems. And they had great hope, and there was great energy, and there was great interest in the country, and the people who were at the heart of that were so excited about what was going on until that day in L.A. in June of 1968 when Bobby Kennedy was shot and killed. And then it was all over. And do you know what happens when people who are involved in something like that find their their plans and their aspirations and their dreams cut off and it's all over? Sometimes they do to get together. But they only get together to mourn and to remember a little bit and to think about what might have been. And maybe there's some other stories out there or other hopes, but none of them involve Bobby, who was going to be the leader. Something happened involving Jesus, it made it possible for volume one to be the foundation for volume two, a most unlikely story. Jesus was crucified when the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem and the Roman authorities in Jerusalem sent from Rome worked together to snuff out his life. But it's 2,000 years later, and do you know what? It's amazing but things are not the same. A pastor has recently written these words. Sandwiched between the Jewish temple and the Roman Empire, the Jesus movement should have been buried right alongside its founder, but it wasn't. At this very moment, Christians from all over the world are visiting the ruins of the Roman Forum. While 1,500 miles away, tourists are snapping pictures of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Rome is adorned with crosses. Jerusalem is filled with Christian tourists. Why? What happened? So real quickly, I want to explore just the first part of Acts chapter 1 with you and make a reference to the second part. But I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. I'm going to invite you to stand right now as we read about how um, Luke tells this story. And he starts by referencing the gospel. The Gospel of Luke, what we call Luke. In my former book, Theophilus, the guy he was writing to, uh, a, a, a Roman, someone interested at the very least in Jesus, maybe someone from uh, a position of, of some power and comfort even in that society, but curious about Jesus 
And he'd heard the story about Jesus, and now he'd read the story about Jesus because of what Luke had written. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want you to see at the very beginning of this book, in just these first 11 verses, that Luke gives us a sense and an understanding of where things are going to be going in those next 30 years and beyond those 30 years. I want you to understand that Acts tells us a story of long ago, but you and I are actually still involved in it. Because here's the thing. I'm not the first person to make this reference. There's organizations and ministries that use this title. There's, this has been referenced for so many generations. This idea. Acts has 28 chapters, but you will find this label here and there. Go search on the internet. Acts 29. Acts 29. Because there is a very real sense in which the story of Acts is not over and it's not complete. It is going on to this very day. And you and I are implicated or involved. And if you're not, you're invited to become involved in what God through Jesus is still doing. In these first 11 verses, we are introduced to what the Bible scholar Richard Longnecker calls a person, a power, a program. But I want to just put it like this. We are introduced in a fresh way to Jesus Christ, to the Holy Spirit, and to the church. Not a building, but us. Jesus, the Spirit, and the church. Read us. And listen to what we find out about Jesus. In, in, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Our video already references. But Luke tells the story of all that Jesus began to do and teach, or to teach and to do. It tells a lot of Jesus' activities and his actions and how he engaged with people and the reason why so many people were so interested in Christ and hung on him and paid attention to him. He was nobody. He was from Nazareth, from Galilee. He didn't mean anything to anybody. But somehow or another, when Jesus came walking by, A crowd gathered all the time. 
Up to the moment of his death, the crowd gathered. Even after his death, crowds gathered around Jesus. Luke tells the story of all that Jesus began to do and teach. And we're going to assume that right now. But following his resurrection, a key, key word there, something more was taking place. When Luke says all that Jesus began to do and teach, there's an implication that Jesus is not done doing and teaching. That he's got more to do, that he is still active. Now that would be nonsense if we were to talk about any other human being in history. If, we were to, if you're going to drive with me to Holland, Michigan and, and walk through that cemetery, oh, there might be a few ghost stories, there might be some interesting mysteries to hear, but we would not hear 2,000 years later about, or, or 20 years later, or 100 years later, about any person buried in that cemetery of what they have continued to teach and to do in the years since they died. Agreed? Yeah. There's something different here, and this is the thing. Acts, the, the book of uh, the Gospel of Luke describes all that Jesus began to teach and to do, and Acts tells us the story of all that Jesus continues to teach and to do. The big question is, how is he doing it? But the story of Acts is that he is. He's still active. I want you to see what Jesus did in those days uh, after his death and resurrection up until the time he departed. Verse 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. What seems to be the case is Jesus would appear. Now, just remember quickly, although his followers had really been committed to him, and really had great hopes in him, and really had great dreams and and, and beliefs that something more was happening, that something was coming because of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died, do you know what was true of every single one of of, of his followers? None of them expected him to be alive on Sunday. And when word got out on the street that a stone had been rolled away from the front of the tomb and that Jesus' body was missing... There is no indication that a single one of the people who'd followed Jesus before, a single one of the people who were curious enough to go to his tomb to want to anoint his body with spices, nobody thought that Jesus had risen from the dead when his body was missing. And do you know why? Actually, you do know why. Because we all know what happens to dead people when they die, at least in terms of their bodies, right? What did dead people do? They stay Dead, okay? They stay dead. When someone dies and is buried, they stay there, okay? So nobody, here's the crazy thing, none of these followers, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Mary, 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 (laughs) all the Marys, none of them expected anything other once he was dead that he would remain dead. And So Jesus appeared to them. He showed himself to them. He gave them many convincing proofs. My first profound encounter with death was, was when my dad died when I was in high school. It was very real. I remember seeing his body in the casket. I remember being in Naperville at the cemetery and watching that being lowered into the ground on a cold winter day. I subsequently visited the site. There's a stone there. The, the, the ground is undisturbed. What would it have taken for there 
to be many convincing proofs that someone who had died was actually alive? Well, it'd start like this, just showing up, being present, talking with people, actually touching them, saying, hey, would you come over? Let's sit down and grab a bite to eat. I've got some fish ready for you. Jesus did exactly those simple kinds of things. And it was, here's the thing, it was unmistakable. A couple of things. He was alive. He was somewhat different. He was still the same. It was him. There was no question that he was physically present with them. That's the reason why there is a second volume that is still going on. Because if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead physically, the story would have been over. And here's the truth. There never would have been a volume one because nobody wrote books about people who were crucified. They were dead and gone. Their bodies were picked up by vultures. Nobody buried them. They were worthless. They were thrown away. Nobody wrote stories about anybody who was crucified because crucified people were by definition nobodies. But this crucified person had a second book written because he was very much alive and he made it clear to them and he wanted them to be aware of that. Later in in chapter one, when uh, they're trying to fill out the full number of disciples, of apostles to 12 because Judas Iscariot, who had betrayed Jesus, had died. He'd taken his own life. Um, uh, they, They process it in these terms. This is 21 and 22. Therefore, it's necessary, Peter says, to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Take away the resurrection, and we wouldn't be talking about Jesus. We wouldn't be baptizing anybody in his name. We wouldn't be gathering here to sing any songs. Nobody would be running Team World Vision to help people in Africa get clean water. And the truth is, I'm not even sure that many non-Christians would be worrying about people in Africa right now. If it wasn't for this, that Jesus who walked this earth and taught people and healed people and died, rose again. I think the impact of Jesus is so significant and so powerful, it impacts people who don't even believe in him. And none of that would have happened if he'd remained dead. The resurrection is that central. Jesus Christ is what our faith is all about. Take him away, and it's stories. Take it away, and it's some morals. Do you know what I do with morals? I try. I constantly trip up and fail. I do the best I can. But man, if your message is morals, that's the most depressing message in the world. Tell me what to do. And watch me trip up. But the good news is of Jesus alive and active. What's the power? Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit. He told them, I want you to remain in Jerusalem. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want you to wait here. I'm going to give you a gift. After I leave, I'm going to give you a gift. It's a gift the Father has promised. The Father, Son, and Spirit are present and active in the life of the world and the life of his first followers. He's going to be given to you. He's been promised by you, and now we're going to fulfill that promise, and you're going to be baptized in in him. 
Silas just got a little taste of this. But the truth is, probably the word baptize in the New Testament means actually to dunk, to get soaked, okay? Because the truth is, ultimately, if you just touch a little bit on the forehead, if, that, if that's your experience of Jesus, it ain't enough. He doesn't just want to wipe off our faces. He, he, he inundates us. And that's what he says will happen with us, with the Holy Spirit. He will fill us. He will soak us. And as he does, he is the source of power. We can only do so much on our own. We can only work together so much. We cannot change the world. We cannot make the world an awesome place. We cannot build the kingdom of God. Don't be fooled. Marxists tried to create in the last century a new society with new human beings, the new man, and they couldn't do it. With all that intense power in one place, they could not do it. We can't do those things. To make the difference in the world, we are dependent on the power of God, and it's that power is the Holy Spirit. Look what Jesus says in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. A power to live, a power to trust, a power to speak, a power to point, a power that takes our sometimes weak, feeble efforts and makes them much bigger and much more significant than they are by themselves. A person, Jesus, a power of the Spirit, and then a community, the church. Gets confusing. But as the, those disciples heard about the Holy Spirit, do you know what clicked in their minds? Because it was so deep that hope Jesus had been the Messiah. They were hoping that he was going to take over, kick the Romans out, build Israel again. And now they hear the Holy Spirit. And the rabbis taught that when the Spirit came, Israel would blossom and get strong. And so they, they, they come and they say to him, um, They gather around him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I picture these guys mostly are guys who wear their baseball caps backwards most of the time. But on this day, as they're approaching Jesus, that baseball cap is forward. And it's just got four letters on it. I don't know how you pronounce it. Miga? But I think it stands for Make Israel Great Again. Okay? That's who these guys were. And they were going to Jesus because they thought that was what he was about because Israel was God's chosen people. Israel was God's special nation. Israel was the way that God was going to make the world a different place. Jesus, make Israel great again. Is this the time it's going to happen? Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't exactly say no. All he goes to is he just this. Don't worry about the times, friends. God's not giving you a calendar. God's not giving you a clock. God's not telling you when this is going to be happening because I don't want you wasting your time trying to figure that out. Truth is, the Bible tells us, I don't know if I fully understand it, but there seems to be indication that God has a plan to do something with Israel in the future. Romans 9, 10, 11 talks about something that's coming. But Jesus said, I don't want you to focus there first. I want you to pay attention to something else. Look at, look at verses 7 and 8. Hmm. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
They'd ask questions only about Jerusalem and the really close area, but Jesus said, guys, you're not understanding. I'm not just interested in you. I'm not just interested in your community. I'm not just interested in the holy city. I'm not just interested in one little plot of land on planet Earth. I'm not interested in one community of people. I'm interested in all of it. And I'm interested in all people. And the way I'm going to work isn't by making Israel great again. And I'm not going to work primarily through governmental power or authority or social movements primarily. I can use anything any way I want, and God does. But the heart of what he does is he works through us, filled by God's Spirit. Last thing that happens in this little story is suddenly Jesus is away. And they're standing there with their mouths wide open. He died and then he came back and he was around for 40 days again and again. And now they got the message they're not going to be seeing him anymore. And they just stood there until two men in white came and gave him a message and said, basically, what are you staring into heaven for? You got some things to do. Go get busy. You are Jesus' plan. He's got a lot to do but he's going to be doing it through you. Let's pray. Lord God, we bow before you. We thank you this day for your holy word, for the life of Jesus, the life of Jesus on earth in those 30 years, and now the life of Jesus on earth by his spirit through his people that's been going on for almost 2,000. And we pray that it will be powerfully apparent in this place, in this community, that the acts of Jesus by his spirit continue, including through the people gathered in this room, gathered and about to leave, to be sent out. Lead us and guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.